The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Help! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 271 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from medical practice. Our topic today is family caregiving in Chinese traditions. Modern China has an interesting history of family caregiving. That's because family caregiving is strongly related to cultural traditions, but the support it actually receives varies with social, economic, and political changes in the society in which it functions. The history of family caregiving in China is traced by Dr. Kam Ching Yip of the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Dr. Yip observed that from 1964 to 1976, that was Chairman Mao's era, family care of people with mental illnesses was totally ignored. 1976 to 1987 was the era of Deng Xiaoping. He was the reformist leader of China who, after Mao's death, led his country towards a market economy. Dr. Yip says of the Deng Xiaoping era, that the role of family caregivers in taking care of family members with mental illnesses was again recognized. But, says Dr. Yip, because of the prolonged policy that's isolated China from the influence of Western countries, professionals and policymakers did not propose any support for family caregivers of persons with mental illnesses. Hong Kong, however, is, is, which is where Dr. Yip was writing from, is a special case. It became a, a British colony in 1842. From 1941 to 45, it was occupied by Japan during the Pacific War, after which the British re- resumed control, which lasted until 1997 when China took over. Hong Kong was therefore influenced by westernized thinking, but is still strongly connected to the Chinese cultural roots which is why our topic, Family Caregiving in Chinese Traditions, is so interesting. To discuss it, my guest is Gail Elliott. Gail, who holds the BASC and MA degrees, is a gerontologist and dementia specialist. She's the founder and CEO of Dementia Ability Enterprises, Inc. She retired from her position as the assistant director Gilbrea Centre for Studies in Aging at McMaster University, and she retired in March 2012 to focus on dementia education. She's passionate about changing the face of dementia and dementia care. Over the past 30 years, she's become a leading expert in the field of aging with a focus on interventions for dementia. She's worked in academic settings and in the community. She's taught college and university courses. She's delivered workshops. She's presented at conferences on a variety of topics in the field of aging. And she's the author of various publications, including one called Montessori Methods for Dementia, which was published in 2012. So welcome to the show, Gail. Thank you to uh, share some time with you this evening. Right. Now, first question for you is, please tell us more about your life, your career, and your experience with family caregiving. Uh, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, When I was in university, I uh, took a course in demographics and population planning. And 
what occurred to me when I looked at the future projections of our society, and I saw those very visual images of uh, the population pyramids and how they were going to look in the future, I decided, you know what, maybe I should uh, consider a career in aging. So I decided then that I would focus my studies in the field of gerontology and devote my working life to working in the field of aging. I went on to do, as you mentioned, a graduate degree, um, and it was in gerontology, and I had to actually go to the United States at the time to uh, get that degree because uh, we weren't very well developed here in Canada as, uh, as yet. And uh, after that, I then moved on to working in Ottawa in a community organization and uh, had lots of experience working with families who were trying to support loved ones um, in the community and people living alone still in the community. I was very touched by those uh, people and those families when I was working in Ottawa. Uh, that's how I uh, was introduced to caregiving in the practice setting, but then as, as you noted, I then uh, went back to, uh, I went into teaching um, for the next few years. So I worked at Sheridan College and headed up the gerontology programs first and then moved on to McMaster University and spent the, the, the last number of years working there. Um, and one of the things that uh, really, um, really hit me as I was uh, preparing for one of my classes on uh, caregivers and caregiver uh, experiences was a, an article that uh, talked about uh, what the experiences of caregiving uh, were for people. And one of the things was uh, that they shared experiences of not just the burdens, but the joys and the challenges that uh, one experiences in, in providing care. And what I found very interesting was one woman gave up her job and said that she was glad that she had taken the time and uh, cared for her mother, and she felt as though it brought her closer together. So even in the face of challenges, it's quite interesting how, how people uh, come out the other end feeling very positive about um, what an outsider might think of, wow, was that ever a challenging experience. Um, so, you know, I, I, as you mentioned, I... Um, I left McMaster University in uh, 2012, but I'm still connected to the university. I'm, I'm actually uh, right now uh, supervising a, thesis, a master's thesis student who is focusing on caregiving. And we're going to uh, test out um, these uh, dementability Montessori methods um, with caregivers and see how that, that helps um, them in their caregiving role. I'm still very connected to the university. I'm also involved in another program, and um, that just basically is an overview of uh, how I got to where I am today. Very good. Now, I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about your work as a gerontologist and dementia specialist. What do you do? Okay, well, my, my focus is, uh, is on education. I take every opportunity to apply what I teach in a practice setting. Um, and I think that's really important to get the research out of the ivory tower and into the practice setting. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, my mission is to discover what is new in the field of aging and particularly in dementia and move it into the world of those who need it the most. I firmly believe that research is of no value if people do not know that it exists. So I've taken what I know and uh, two main areas that I've, I, I've uh, spent a lot of time uh, collecting information about, uh, reading through literature, and then moving into practices. First of all, the, um, the dementiability methods, the Montessori way or Montessori methods uh, for dementia. Um, I've, I've got two titles for it because some people don't like that it's called Montessori because they think it's related to children. Uh, and it's uh, just using principles that say, hey, let's focus on the needs, interests, skills, and abilities of an individual. So I've spent a lot of time um, working on uh, creating an educational program, but I've also had lots of opportunities to put into practice. And the second thing is, is I've also um, uh, used the work of Naomi File to create a uh, Valid, she calls it validation therapy, but I call it validation communication techniques. And in fact, a number of years ago, I volunteered for a couple of years running validation groups in a nursing home. 
so all of these experiences are rewarding. And, and one of the things I found a long time ago is families are so challenged. They want their parent, their, their loved one to be the way they used to be. There is no magic bullet, but there are a number of approaches uh, that we have available to us. Uh, but we need to get that out into um, the hands of those who need it the most. Right. Oh. Now, Gail, I'm going to stop you there because I have another question for you. <laughs> and I want to ask you about your involvement in Hong Kong. Tell us that story, please. Okay. Well, uh, about three years ago, the or actually before years ago, because my first visit was three years ago, the Hong Kong Occupational Therapy Association and the Hong Kong Hospital Authority came together and they uh, heard about some of the work I was doing and working in dementia. And they asked me if I would come over and teach their occupational therapists about uh, some, some of these ways to work with people with dementia. Um, they also asked if I would come over and um, certify those who took the, the uh, sessions uh, with me. But Certification requires that they have to work with uh, three people who have dementia, and they have to work with them over 10 sessions and then write a report, write an exam, and come and present what they've created to me. So people in Hong Kong are so hardworking that uh, they actually um, did uh, one case in the 10 days I was there, and then um, I went away, and then we, um, they, they mailed the rest of the reports to, to me. They had so much success. They invited me back a second year, and I went and actually toured the nursing homes, hospitals, and uh, day programs to see uh, some of the successes that they had achieved uh, during that time. And um, that was so successful, they asked me to uh, work with them further to teach their people to teach my program. So I went back. I actually just returned um, from Hong Kong uh, three days ago, and I have, while I was there, I have certified 10 people to actually teach the, um, the methods that I teach, both uh, uh, the, for now they're beginning with just teaching the Montessori methods. And uh, they have been... Um, working very hard to put this into practice, and now the second level is um, making sure that they understand the material, and they've they demonstrated to me that they do, and they're beginning, they're ready to teach. And this is going to be good, because then they could teach it in China, because they can speak both, uh, many can speak both Mandarin and Cantonese. Now, what that then leads me to say is that means you've got a very good sort of window on what's been going on in Hong Kong, and through that window, you've been exercising some influence. Is that right? I believe so. I, um, I'm actually very impressed with uh, the great work that they have, have done uh, over the last uh, three years, and uh, some of them have actually... Um, done some presentations at conferences in China, uh, to, and, so, and I just spoke at the International Association of Alzheimer's Disease in Hong Kong, and there were people from China, Korea, Thailand, Taiwan, um, of course Hong Kong, Australia, UK, um, and even uh, USA were there. Uh, but in that uh, conference, uh, there was a real coming together of the minds, and when I gave the presentation, people said it was just, you know, really great to see that there were some, uh, some new things that could be done to support those who have dementia. So, yeah, I think I've begun to plant seeds um, and lots of good discussions uh, related to change of practice. Fascinating, because it suggests then, doesn't it, that the... China is now open for the business of influence of Western ideas, but at the same time, we ourselves in the West perhaps have something to learn from the way the China uh, is approaching its problems relating to dementia and aging and things like that. And those are the things that we're going to be talking about in the following uh, segments. Now, it's time for us to take the break. This is where I always say we have to pay our rent, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Gail Elliott. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 
90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Gail Elliott. Our topic is Family Caregiving in Chinese Traditions. Now, Gail, let's talk about your impressions of family caregiving for the elderly in modern Hong Kong and the challenges experienced by family caregivers. So now, first question is, please summarize your impressions of family caregiving for the elderly in Hong Kong and the most challenging of the challenges that are faced by their family caregivers. Gail? Well, the role of caregiver is challenging no matter where you live. Uh, so Hong Kong really faces the same challenges that we face here in Canada. Families uh, pool their time and resources to meet the needs of uh, their loved ones uh, with the objective of doing the best they can. Uh, the problem is that they often have too little knowledge about what, what it is that they can do to help. So that's a burden no matter where one lives um, in, around the world, actually. But the... the one point about Hong Kong that is good is that um, because it was separated from China for a hundred years, it doesn't hold that one-child restriction. So it isn't it isn't facing the same challenges that China is and will be uh, with that uh, policy. Um, and uh, China has recognized that this is going to be a, a problem for the future. So it's actually now I think it's it's in 2014 the policy is being lifted. So family family caregivers are that invisible thread in the tapestry of dementia care. They face many challenges from pre-diagnosis to the end of life. Um, And and caregivers have a variety of needs. They need to know that they're not alone. And this is one very good reason to seek and share a diagnosis, as this journey, journey can be very difficult. So one of the problems that you would think only exists in uh, our more traditional societies, but it actually still exists in in, um, in uh, Canada and, and USA too, is, is the problem of uh, not understanding what dementia is. People don't realize that uh, dementia is an umbrella term, and in fact the terminology is changing again, but we'll just stick and keep this simple at this point. A lot of people don't realize that with dementia, um, memory may not be the first sign. It may be judgment and reasoning. So some people don't know um, about the symptoms, and they don't know that they need to um, seek help. So 
if stigma is a problem, so they because it is a mental health problem, like you, you said earlier, um, if I don't know I have a problem, I'm not going to go get help. And if I don't realize that if the person, their memory's not that bad, but, you know, geez, they've been in an accident and um, they, they're, they're spending a lot of money, that judgment and reasoning may be the first um, sign of dementia. So it's education and not understanding what the what this is and uh, that I really do need to see um, somebody about it and it may be uh, taking over and becoming that uh, guardian for uh, the person with dementia. So, and that has safety implications not just for driving and that came out in the conference that I was at and this seems to be a problem in, in, in most countries is taking that driver's license away in the early stage because um, the, the early uh, signs of dementia uh, where safety is an issue, a person may not realize that uh, this is a problem. So, but it's also important to point out that uh, even if one doesn't have an, a diagnosis, the symptoms still exist, and this is challenging. So, um, the, the other challenge is, um, you know, along with uh, safety, uh, we also have things like medication management and uh, another um, example is uh, food going bad. So the challenges are, first of all, uh, defining the, the, that there's a problem and admitting to it because of the stigma, but then knowing what to do about the symptoms. And, and these, are, these are really global problems. Gail, just to follow up on that, Please talk more about the role of stigma as you as you your impression of it in Hong Kong. How, how does it operate that, that stigma thing? Go. I didn't see it as any different than what excuse me what we see here with stigma. If people um, oh dear, I can't don't tell anybody that uh, they're having trouble remembering things. Don't tell anybody that they can't drive anymore. Don't tell anybody that they are independent. They they can't be independent. Uh, that stigma prevents people from uh, getting the support that they need. As I said earlier, caregivers need support. And if they can't share that message with others because of the fear of stigma, and I have seen, um, I used to do a lot of work in cross-cultural awareness, and I saw a lot of evidence more in the literature than what I experienced personally on this trip. But um, if people are... Um, in a situation where the male caregiver or the male uh, uh, head of the household has dementia, there may be a reluctancy to uh, share this diagnosis because that's the leader of our home. And the stigma, you know, people are afraid people are going to judge. And uh, I'm not sure that it, that actually happens, but I think there's a fear it will happen. So that, that, that has uh, an awful impact on all involved in the caregiving formula. Now, I'm going to just make a comment and turn it into a question. Mm -hmm. um, I was recently interviewing um, a psychiatrist from the United States, and she was saying that stigma is something that people fear, and it's, you know, and people being family caregivers and at times their family members though the stigma, stigmatization may be more imagined than it is real in the current society. Is that, in fact, what you're saying to me that happens in Hong Kong too? Yes, yes. I, I think that's exactly what it is. I think there's a fear that people will be judged, but I think people, I think we, um, it, like, let's take depression as an example. I, I think that uh, people are becoming... Uh, more willing to talk about it as a problem. And so when you put, you know, dementia and depression on the same plane, I think we're seeing the same thing. There's this uh, awareness that this exists. And how is it any different than a broken, like a, a broken heart, is it like a heart problem? It's okay to have a heart condition, but not a brain condition. I think we're getting to the we're getting closer to the point that it's okay to say there's something wrong with my brain, just as it's okay to say that I have something wrong with my heart. I, right. We, we still have a way to go, uh, but um, 
I think it's education. And my one of the comments I make in, in every educational event is any of the challenges we face, there's oftentimes if we just think about the solution being education, 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 that's what's going to move us forward. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you about your impressions regarding another challenge which is present somewhat in some places, and that is the financial burden on families um, in that healthcare systems, Canada and the United States, do provide services for men. Um, in Hong Kong, um, there's no universal healthcare system. Um, and in fact, there's no uh, universal pension system either. Well, uh, although there is no uh, universal health care system, there is a system for those uh, who are in the lower um, income bracket uh, to be supported. So they will never be turned away from any uh, um, hospital or uh, health care services. So um, as much as um, it may not be universal, um, it, it appears from the conversations that I had with people it appears that people are well looked after when it comes to uh, health care. Um, so I, I say from what I've seen in Hong Kong, they're just they're very committed to meeting uh, the needs of the people in Hong Kong, and whether that's uh, the very old with dementia or younger population. Now, let me just do a quick follow-up on that one. That means that, does it, that family caregivers looking after an aging senior at home who's slipping down the road into dementia get financial support for the kind of services that the family caregivers provide to that senior living at home. Is that right or not right? No, I think it's hospital care they would get. But no, people living in the home, in, in their own home, one of the um, observations that, one of the things that came out many times while I was there is we were talking about um, how many people actually have a maid. And so the maids provide um, a lot of the, uh, what you would call the functional aspects of care. But one of the things that actually came out in one of the reports I read while I was in Hong Kong is although the maids do provide you know, they do the shopping, they take care of the, the, the tasks at home. They don't really know how to look after um, the cognitive and the social um, aspects of caring for the person um, who has dementia. And, and that's, that's common in a lot of places that even the paid home support workers here in Canada, a lot of them are skilled at doing the functional tasks but they're really not very well trained in um, understanding behaviors and and how to address those behaviors and how to how to meet the needs uh, that are related to uh, cognitive loss, cognitive decline, and and social needs. Um, and these are the things that um, uh, are not generally paid uh, through the healthcare system. So they're often um, left to the uh, families to pay for these services. Right. And w- what that also comes back to, when you were talking about the, the maids, the helpers, not knowing enough about what to do, that comes back to your earlier point about the need for education, doesn't it? Absolutely. And that's one of the things that the, in, in going back to Hong Kong this time uh, was one of the objectives. And that's why we're training the occupational therapists to do the teaching in Hong Kong so that we can reach out to more people than we were able to with just me going there to teach. Uh, so we've, I've taught, there's 10 people ready to teach, and the objective is to teach people who are not occupational therapists now, and that will include other disciplines, but that will also um, in the future include the providers of care, the, the family caregivers, but it's one step at a time. Right. And in that way, and this is just a quick observation by me, in a way then the family caregiver becomes part of the healthcare team for the individual family member slipping down the road to Alzheimer's, dementia and so on. Is that right? That's right. And in, in fact, when I teach my, um, my workshop, one of the things we talk about is, um, you know, how do you move this forward? 
And I always say that the only way to move this forward is if you create create teams, and teams include uh, family and family caregivers. Great. Okay, now it's time on that strong point for us to take a short break. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guest is Gail Elliott, listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're a part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the World Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Gail Elliott. Our topic is family caregiving in Chinese traditions. Gail, now let's talk about your impressions of the support provided in Hong Kong for family caregivers in overcoming the various challenges they experience. Now, we've already mentioned several of these points, but I'd like you to go in, into a little more detail, please. So first question is, impressions of the support in Hong Kong for family caregivers um, generally in supporting and caring for their elderly family members. And I'm asking you about the situation as it currently is um, in Hong Kong. Gail? So um, one of the, um, the challenges for people in, in Hong Kong and actually here, in, it's an actually a global problem, is that um, there's no gold standard for either the definition or assessment and no universal intervention um, being applied for those living with dementia. And that includes both the person who is diagnosed and the provider of care. So one of the problems that we face is that um, caregivers often don't know um, that all behavior has meaning. And uh, in uh, trying to um, support those with dementia, we have to help caregivers understand um, what this experience is for uh, the person with dementia. Um, and in providing that support, one of the things I use is what I call a WOW model. And what we're, we're, the people in Hong Kong are now trying to use as they uh, move forward is 
this wow model that helps people to understand what it is that they can do. What it means is, I always say it's the how is in the wow. So who is the person? Who is it that we're working with? Uh, what do we know about them? What are their needs? Are they lonely? Do we need to give them something to do? What are they interested in doing if we do give them something to do? What did they do for a living? What are they good at? And then when you look at the observations, what do you see? What's going on? What do you see happening? And maybe sometimes the behavior doesn't happen. What's going on? And this will inform us um, when making decisions about what it is we're going to do. So, for example, what some of the things that um, that happens both in Canada, Hong Kong, and anywhere that uh, uh, we go is that it's faster to do things for people with dementia because there's a real slowing down because the brain takes a little longer to process information. And that's, that's not the right thing to do because the more we do for them, the more we create a disability that we call excess disability um, that comes from disuse, not from the disease, but from disuse. So if we put cognitive supports into their world, look at the behavior that you see, uh, we can maybe change the behavior. So education is key here. So for example, if a person, one of the things that happens is a lot of people who are living at home, the tipping point to uh, long-term care is often toileting. So for example, uh, when they can no longer hold their bladder, some people think, oh, that's because it's the dementia. Well, it's not because of the dementia sometimes. It's because they simply can't find their way to the bathroom. So if you put a sign up that says, to the bathroom, tell the person when you have to go to the bathroom, look for this sign that says, to the bathroom. Make sure that the bathroom either you can see the toilet with the door open or you put a sign on the door that says, that shows that it's the bathroom. That is one very good way to support the caregiver and, and toileting issues. The second way may be that when they get into the bathroom, they don't know what to do. So if you put some pictures up that, that clearly show them, you know, uh, or words, uh, stand in, if it's a man, stand in front of the toilet, do your business. But again, in Hong Kong, that's not the term they would use. Um, the word, they use toilet for everything. So it would be stand in front of the toilet, go to the toilet, uh, pull your pants back up. So you, you walk through each step, um, either with words or with pictures, to help a person do things independently. If we can do that earlier on in the disease, we'll avoid uh, some of the disability that doesn't need to come with that type of disease. So the point is, is there's lots of things that we can do. Um, the, OT, the occupational therapists in Hong Kong are beginning to do these things and support um, the person with dementia and working with families to help them. A lot of them are community outreach occupational therapists, helping families understand that if you put these uh, techniques into practice, you can support this person um, a little more effectively. The other thing you might do is help them knowing that they can um, physically set a table, but they can't remember how to do it. You simply take a, a placemat, draw the diagram of the things you're going to put on the table, so it could be their little bowl, their little plate, and their chopsticks, and um, have them set the table again. And because priming uh, procedural memory is spared in dementia, the more they do this and the more they create a habit of doing it and create the role and routine of doing it, the better they'll get at it. Now you add um, self-esteem, uh, you add uh, purpose and meaning, and that enhances their self-esteem. So there's lots of things that we can do, but again, we need to, it's education, education, education. Now, I want to just to draw you out a bit further on the behavior, interpretation of behavior. Sure. Um, we know that, don't we, that um, at times people with dementia, with Alzheimer's, can become aggressive and sometimes, sadly, very aggressive. What should we be understanding or trying to understand that the aggression means? Okay, good question. So, again, all behavior has meaning. So I always go back to the same question, the how is in the wow. So when you look at if somebody's becoming aggressive, and the other word that we, the words we use is, these are called responsive behaviors. And when somebody is either uh, aggressive or agitated or yelling or screaming, ask why the behavior. And if you look at who the person is, um, 
look at what's going on and ask yourself, what's happening? When is it happening? And then when is it not happening and why? And, for example, um, I've seen uh, people who care for people with dementia um, when the person is wearing um, product uh, such as, uh, um, you know, to, to uh, address toileting issues, they go down and grab to see if the person's wet rather than saying, um, I'm, I'm just wondering if you might be in need of a change. I'm here to help you. Well, I've, seen, I've heard examples of uh, colleagues of mine where uh, have told me about examples of uh, the person with dementia reaching out and choking the person who came and touched them inappropriately. And because people didn't understand that the behavior was the result of um, an unmet need, they didn't understand what was going on, um, their need is to protect themselves and you don't touch me there. So they, the resident was blamed rather than the staff when the staff was at fault. So they may be aggressive because of something the, the person in their environment has done, or they may be aggressive because they're trying to communicate uh, something to you. And one of the, one of the things that uh, there's two major reasons for the behaviors we see, and that's boredom and loneliness. How long can you sit doing nothing, and how many years of that can you do that, let alone hours and days? So aggressive behavior um, comes from something, some, from a need that's not being met. The, the, the person's trying to tell you something if they're becoming aggressive. So ask, have a look around in the environment. What's going on? And one of the things sometimes is there may be something um, in the environment they're seeing uh, because of aging eyes. But you have to think about the whole person and the whole aging body and what's going on. Is there something they're frightened by? Is it a, um, you know, a shadow coming in through the, uh, I've seen this happen before where there's lace curtains on a window, sun shining through, and they think there's bugs on the wall. So the reason they're aggressive is they're trying to get out, but actually it's just um, a shadow on a wall, and when the sun goes away, the behavior disappears. Right. Now, I just want you, you quickly, because we're coming to the end of this particular segment. What's your impression of the burden of family caregivers on families in Hong Kong, Gail? Um, I think it's the uh, same as, as everywhere else. Um, the burden is, it, there's a, one of the problems with people in Hong Kong is they work very long hours and they work very hard. And what I saw personally was that families, especially in the early stage, when people are still living at home, let's put it that way, families are trying, the, the maids may be there during the day, a spouse may be there during the day, but families that work are, are rushing home to um, and coordinating schedules with other family members to make sure that the care, that the needs are met and care is provided um, to uh, make sure that um, everybody's needs are being addressed. But I see that they're exhausted. It takes a physical and emotional toll on the person uh, that's providing care. And I saw families who were coordinating their schedules. So this person's going to go on this day at this hour. This person's going to go on this day at this hour. I saw people who had worked, you know, like 12 days in a row, and the next day they would be going and providing support for their family uh, member who needed help. So it's, it takes a, both a physical and an emotional toll because it's stressful knowing that, uh, and, and especially when you're not sure if you're being effective in the care you're providing. I've heard on this show from time to time phrases like burnout. Would you apply those to the families you've been describing in Hong Kong? Would you apply that particular term as a risk for family caregivers in Hong Kong? Absolutely, absolutely. But in some of the cases that we dealt with, um, when uh, some we I certified over, I guess uh, there's probably about 75 people who are certified in monetary methods in uh, Hong Kong now. So I read through with each person doing three cases. I read a lot of cases. And a lot of the um, occupational therapists were working with family members, teaching them about what they could do and how they could do it. And some of the 
in fact, in one case in particular, um, I remember a husband was actually getting very depressed, and uh, so the occupational therapist went in to help the maid and the husband learn how to do things differently. And I actually, he actually um, sent me a photo of um, the couple at the end of his intervention, and the smiles on their faces said it all. So yes, there's absolutely burnout, uh, but with the interventions, um, what I saw was uh, successful outcomes and um, you know being able to cope for much longer. And uh, if we can slow down the process and help people um, uh, deal with this uh, more effectively for a longer period of time, we can't reverse the disease, but we can certainly um, help people you know work at the level of ability person is that right now we're at the end of this particular segment so we'll take the break this is dr gordon atherley and my guest is gail elliott you're listening to family caregivers unite on the voice america variety and empowerment channels and cjmp 90.1 fm community radio please stay with us we will be back It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at VoiceAmericaTRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN or follow along with us at VoiceAmericaTRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word talk radio to 96362. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Gail Elliott. Our topic is family caregiving in Chinese traditions. Gail, now let's compare your impressions of family caregiving in Hong Kong and in Canada. So, what are your impressions of the differences between Hong Kong and Canada regarding family caregiving? Gail? I think that the uh, biggest difference is that um, in Canada we have large distances for people to travel. So, uh, caregivers in uh, Canada, if they don't live in the same uh, geographical location, either in the same house or same city, the different the uh, difference in um, destination from one home to the other is much larger. So um, in Canada, we see that uh, some people, if you live across the country, uh, that creates a huge cost in both um, uh, financial um, ways and also in time. Uh, so if we live out of town, we have to maybe take some days off 
uh, and we have the uh, added uh, expense of, of travel. Um, in Hong Kong, it's a, it's a much smaller area. Um, there's an excellent transportation system. The, um, it's, it's very easy to get around in Hong Kong. Um, so that's, that's one major difference between uh, Canada and Hong Kong. The other um, big difference I, I see is that Canada is so very multicultural that we deal more with um, language barriers than they do in Hong Kong. Because in Hong Kong, what I see is most people are speaking either English, Cantonese, or Mandarin. And uh, although there are some uh, challenges with language, they're not nearly as um, extensive as they are here in Canada. So when I do a section in teaching my course on um, language, um, I talk about how we can uh, do translation and use memory cards and have them translated and help people uh, with dementia to communicate. Because if you can't understand the language of the care provider, so that there's a disconnect between the provider of care and the person with dementia, um, you shut down the social connection as well. So. Um, it's really important to maintain language as long as possible in, in, in dementia, and uh, that is more of a challenge I have found in Canada than it, than it was in Hong Kong. Okay. Now, what are your impressions of the similarities between Hong Kong and Canada regarding family caregiving? Okay. Um, one of the, the similarities is that um, there is... Um, um, the same problems is, is, is families are burning, burning out and families do need um, uh, more support and um, the other thing is, is that probably uh, first and foremost is uh, people in both countries and around the world consider long-term care placement their last resort. Families do try to do the best they can. Um, I do believe they all try to seek out information and uh, learn about what it is that they can do. They are, uh, people do try to um, uh, get help, uh, but there's no drug to help with uh, boredom and loneliness. And uh, we need education to help people learn how to support the, the abilities that remain in dementia. And the similarities in this area is that right now, uh, we don't have enough of that information uh, spread widely enough um, across either Hong Kong or Canada. So really, there's still a, a long way to go uh, to support the needs of those with dementia and those providing their care. Just a quick sort of ancillary question to that one. Is it right then to say that both countries, um, that is now China and Canada, can learn from each other in approaches, their approaches to dementia, Alzheimer's and things like that? What do you say to that? Absolutely. And one of the things that I think is really important to note is that um, China Hong Kong, Canada, USA, uh, and, and other countries around the world are all dedicated to doing research, not just on the cause of research, but also on um, how we can help. So there's research that is has been collaborative around the world, actually. And, uh, and it's not just a traditional health care. In fact, when I was in Hong Kong, there was a, I was watching the news and there was a report that was coming out of China about a little robot that is being used in dementia care. And this was fascinating. The little robot was basically addressing all the needs that I say need to be attended to in dementia. So these are researchers in um, IT and they have created a little robot that will do trivia questions with somebody with dementia. I also provide trivia questions for people with dementia. But one of the things we need to understand is, is that you, you provide answers. You never rely on declarative memory in dementia. The little robot also became a, social, a friend to meet the social needs of the person with dementia. 
and it provided the memory cueing to remind them of something. So this is an example of how collaborative efforts from around the world are, are um, helping us to move forward in addressing uh, the needs of those uh, with dementia, and that includes our caregivers. Right. Now, this is the very final question. Is there anything that you would like to share with family caregivers as your very final answer to the very final question? Gail? Absolutely. I would just like to leave the message uh, with people of hope, letting them know that there is something that can be done, and that is we, when we put a person into a prepared environment, for example, we give them the support when their memory isn't working, we give them the memory support. We don't ask them questions about who's coming for dinner. We tell them who's coming for dinner. We give them the arrows to help them find their ways. We give them the labels on cupboards so that they can find things in the cupboards. We give them the information that says, uh, put, on your, put on your underwear, put on your pants, put on your shirt, but sit first. So the first thing would be sit. We give them the instructions they need so when the memory isn't available and accessible, it's out in the environment for them to follow the details that they need. And the other thing is, is we give them something to do. We put the roles that have been taken away from them. We give them tables to set. We give them floors to sweep. We, we give them the job if they're in long-term care homes to welcome people to, to meals. We give them something to do. We add meaning and purpose. We create activities so they're engaged throughout their day, and we give them agendas to follow. So when they're done, an activity, they check it off. So as they sit later in the day wondering what they've done today, there it is, right in front of them. They can look and see what it is that they've done. We support their memory. We support their, um, their whole being by giving them someone to love and something to do and something to look forward to. There is so much we can do, and remembering the how is in the wow. Remember who this person is. Put your observations together with who we know that person is, and then figure out what we're going to do based on what we know. And I'd just like to add quickly, and that means then that the family caregiver uh, is part of the hope, part of the team, part of the support, Absolutely. and that they too should get help, help and hope um, from this process of caring that is has a good, hopeful outlook, even if the cure isn't there at this particular time, the help is. Exactly, and I think that that message of hopefulness is very important because a cure is not in sight right now, and people are living with this today. And yeah. if we can recognize that there is something we can do, and I encourage people to go to my website, www.dementiability.com, that's dementia and ability with one A in the middle, um, there are resources there for people to see. One of the things people don't know is people with dementia can still read. So we have books specially designed for people with dementia so that they can read together. There's math quizzes there. There's word searches. So give people with dementia something to do. Put meaning back in their day. Got it. Now, Gail, thank you. Thank you for sharing with us all of this information and your message of hope and your insights and your advice and also pointing out to us that um, there's a convergence going on. That is to say, in countries like Canada, in countries like China, there are things going on, knowledge is being shared, we're building on experiences. Certainly there are differences in approach, but there are a lot of common approaches from which we can gain experience, gain knowledge, and therefore be even more hopeful uh, about the care we provide. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be words of women in their languages about overcoming barriers. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week 
Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.